Well, folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for episode 533 of the Rec Poker Podcast. This is our chats edition, and we also have a forums edition every week where we just talk strategy. I'm your host, Sasha Sutton, Poker for Girls at Poker for Girls on Twitter, sitting in today for the fabulous Jim Reed who is traveling. And I'm so sorry I don't have his dance moves, but I do have other virtues. And as Jim likes to say, we have the best job in the world talking poker with all of our friends here on the podcast every Monday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, live on YouTube. So feel free to join us and even win a prize. All right. So we're going to be talking to our guest, Matt Savage, in just a minute. But first, I have to thank our fantastic sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino. And just so you know, most of what we do here at REC, poker is free. We're a largely volunteer-based organization, so we depend on support from our sponsors and also from our premium members who take advantage of our training materials and study opportunities for only $15 a month. If you are a premium member, you are very special to REC Poker, and we hope your training is everything you need it to be. And remember, if you'd like to become a premium member, you can get your first month for only 5 bucks by using the discount code RECPOKER at checkout. Um, here at REC, we may play for fun, uh, but it's more fun when you win. So we study together, we play together, we celebrate together. And it all starts with the free membership at Rec Poker, where all it takes to join is an email address and a smile. Now, every podcast has a host, but the host is just one person. It takes a group, a gang, a village, a crew to make all the magic happen around here. And we call this group of wizards the Wrecking Crew. And if you want to learn more about me or the rest of the Wrecking Crew, just go to Rec Poker backslash crew, or you can listen up right now because you're about to meet a few of them, starting with our irreplaceable producing co-host, Chris Jones. Yeah, well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I'm Joe Coolis. You can find me at Joe Cool PhD, cool with a K at uh, X or Twitter or whatever it's called now, and Elvita11 in the home game. And I'm John Somsky, also known as Poker Geek MN everywhere. Thanks, team. Also, folks, as always, we'll be announcing home game and ROI results toward the end of the podcast. So uh, stay tuned for that info. We are so pleased to be joined on the show this week by Matt Savage. He's worked with Fox News, FSN, the Travel Channel, NBC, and ESPN. And he is the tournament director for uh, World Poker Tour, World Poker Tour, or WPT, as folks know it. And not surprising, Matt's been nominated for induction into the Poker Hall of Fame several times. And I'm sure... He's busy getting ready for the upcoming series at the win in Las Vegas. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Sasha. Um, at the end of your interview, we have a couple of fun new elements, uh, one called Stake Study Stack, and we will have a speed round, which we now call Closing the Action, and we'll fill you in on all of that. So no pressure and don't be nervous. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling the pressure already. <laughs> okay. Um, Matt, if our audiences don't know you or don't realize how much behind the scenes magic happens in tournaments, um, how would you define your role broadly in the poker world? And how would you describe a typical day, if that exists, orchestrating a major tournament? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's mostly about uh, tournaments, first of all. So even though I do uh, do dabble in the cash games and and help with cash games as well poker tournaments is how i uh kind of made my name um starting the tournament directors association many years ago uh was kind of how that became all to be and out of that i got invited to run many of the um biggest tournaments in the world most of the televised tournaments that you saw in the early 2000s and then becoming the executive tour director of the world poker tour uh as well, you know, I've been with the World Poker Tour since its first season, first uh, in 2001, and uh, just you know, my journey basically has followed every major tournament around the world, and uh, my goal is always to grow the game internationally and uh, in the United States, and uh, I think we've done a good job with that. 
Wow, that's tremendous. So yeah, I was fascinated to have learned, uh, Matt, you having um, helped to found the tournament Directors Association, TDA. Um, it's it's described as an organization that works to standardize poker tournaments, uh, poker tournament rules worldwide. I mean, I'm on the cat, I'm on the cash side, but I know what it feels like. I mean, you know what it is. You know what poker is, right? We all. It's amazing that we all come together and a don't kill each other and b don't kill each other, right? Because there's like rules in place and stuff that happens on the cash side or on the tournament side. But all the way back in 2001. What were your what what was the genesis? What was the origin of TDA? Like, what were you feeling, and what needed the idea that there is a set uh, a set structure that folks that's enforced in the in all the best ways? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, basically, you know, when I was back then, I was playing a lot of tournaments around the Bay Area from Northern California, and everywhere you went, the rules were different. And uh, I thought really there was something needed to be done. Uh, it had never really been tried to have the rules standardized for tournament poker. So uh, I went out and walked into Binion's Horseshoe for the very first time in 2001 <laughs> and said, hey, I talked to the tournament director. I said, we should need to standardize the rules. I knew it was the biggest tournament at the time and it was the biggest thing that was going. So uh, the tournament director at the time basically said, you know, it's been tried before, it's never really worked. And luckily uh, I was friends with Linda Johnson and Jan Fisher, and they had the World Poker Industry Conference at that time. And so I asked Linda if we could tie it on to the end of that. And uh, out of that, Linda said, yeah, let's give it a shot. So her, uh, Jan Fisher, Dave Lamb, and myself started the Tournament Directors Association with just 25 uh, tournament directors from around the United States. And it's grown into a massive organization that's used worldwide. Basically, any major tournament you go to around the world or any small tournament you go to around the world follows some uh, most of the TDA rules and in some respects, all of them. So it's uh, oh. something that I'm very proud of. And, you know, standardizing the rules is very important to me because I think it's the best way for players to understand when they go from casino to casino, from tournament to tournament, if all the rules are the same, it's more fair. It's, uh, you know, it's just a better way to play the game. And uh, I think that achieving that, you know, was kind of how I got my start into running all these international and televised tournaments and, you know, with my role now with the World Poker Tour. Matt, what was your sense of what was happening, you know, when you went to Binion's and say, hey, let's put some structure around this. What was your sense of what it was before TDA and before uh, something uh, formalized? What was going wrong? What was harder for players? What was your perception at that time? Yeah, I mean, there was uh, basic, even the basic rules of, of poker tournaments, when you went to different places, they were different, you know. And uh, if you're making decisions based on the rules, and you don't know the rules when you go into those casinos, it's really unfair for the players. I stress all the time to poker players, professionals, and amateurs to learn the rules. And, you know, it really could be a million dollar decision. Like I said, upcoming at the the win, we have this tournament with a $40 million guarantee. You're not going to go in there if you don't know the rules and uh, make a mistake that literally could cost you millions of dollars. So I think it's so important that people all, of all skill levels, learn the rules. And, you know, we have it at PokerTDA.com. So, you know, when you go from place to place, you just ask, are you using TDA rules? And if you are, you know what the rules are. So give, give um, for our members and listeners um, who may be absolutely brand new to poker or brand new to tournaments or just started playing in home games or fantasizing about being in one of these beautiful win experiences someday. Um, What's a mistake that can happen for folks who are not who are just starting out or not familiar with guidelines? Can you give what what give us a sense of a mistake or two that typically yeah, happens? Yeah, the players? one that comes across the most is like a raising. Um, you know, a lot of people come out of home games and they say um, they might say something like, "I call and I raise you three hundred. <laughs> well, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> You know, we kind of took that out. That was one of the things that, uh, you know, Linda and I argued about. Like, there's just certain rules and language in, po in poker that you can use. And, then, you know, there are words like call, raise, um, you know, ante, um, simple things like that. If you make a mistake and you say, I call and raise you, what happens first is what we do. Is we say, you've called because you said call first in your sentence. So it's something like that could really cost you. And it could be a string raise, meaning that you you didn't put all the raise amount in at the same time. A lot of times you see in the movies, you know, they will uh, raise and they'll be putting money in like this. 
We yeah. can't do that anymore. And that was one of the first things that we stepped up and said, we need a rule written in place for that. So people can't do that anymore. And it puts themselves in a, you know, an awkward position when you come into a place for the very first time and you don't know those rules, you know, you might make yourself, you know, feel uncomfortable, embarrassed. Maybe you, you know, don't feel like it's, it's for you if you go in there and you don't know the rules. So that's what I really strongly encourage people to learn the rules before they come into the poker room for the first time. And, you know, hopefully you can are able to let somebody know when you walk into that room for the very first time that it's your first time there and they will help. They'll guide you. And, uh, you know, they want to keep you as a player and keep you as a, a happy customer. So uh, hopefully you can find that in most every venue you go to around the world. That's a fantastic. That's a fantastic explanation. Thank you, Matt. When when things go wrong in real time, um, and the quote floor is called, is that you? Oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's oh, me wow. for the last uh, wow. twenty uh, twenty years. The last twenty seven um, years. Okay, so time. so help our audience understand when why the floor quote might be called, um, and then what happens next. Um, a lot of times I'll go to the table and, you know, they will ask, uh, the player will have a dispute with maybe with the dealer, maybe with another player. They don't understand, um, you know, why the dealer might've said something or another player might've called for the floor because you've done something incorrectly. And so the reason why they, you know, they call for us is if it's elevated to that level, a lot of times those decisions and those uh, situations can be handled between two players or between the dealer and the players. But if it goes to the next step, that's when the tournament director is called in. Uh, sometimes it's a, you know, maybe an assistant tournament director or on a floor person. And if it gets elevated to one step higher, then it goes to the tournament director and that would be me. And so once my decision goes on that table, then it's the final decision. And, uh, you know, you kind of have to live with what we come up with. So, you know, uh, Part of my role with the TDA is to make sure that the people that are making those final decisions are making the correct ones. Well, I we all know that you've kind of seen the, let me phrase this really politely, um, uh, the worst and, and the very best of poker behavior, okay? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Like, well, I've seen it all. You've seen it all times one oh, million. Yeah. Let's have it as you've seen it all exponentially. Um I believe that's called showing people their butts is what you're looking for. My mother used to say that all the time. Matthew, stop showing your butt. Exactly. Um, Matt, what's like, I mean, without naming names, obviously, but like what was one of the hardest or weirdest or worst kind of moments or most challenging moments for you in terms of the floor being called and you having to negotiate a very difficult moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've said this many times in different uh, shows and things. It's you know, basically, it was the first year that I was the uh, the tournament director at the World Series of Poker in 2001, and I was called to the table late on uh, day four. It was five days at that time, and uh, a player named Russell Rosenblum um, had put in a raise, and then a player named Julian Gardner said, "I'm all in," and Russell Rosenblum flew from the table and ran, you know, into the back uh, across the room and. I said, I went over and said, what are you doing? He goes, I fold, I fold. Well, he bet, I think, 65000 And Julian Gardner had moved all in for 110000 And so him not realizing that it was such a little raise as an all-in, he started to make his way back to the table. And just about the time I got to the table, I grabbed his cards. He said, no, wait, wait, how much is it? I said, Russell, I'm sorry, you said you fold. And so I folded his hand. And, uh, you know, just because of that, he could have eliminated Julian Gardner and ended up that Julian finished second in that tournament for $1.1 million. Uh, luckily for Russell, he did make a comeback. Uh, he didn't let it bother him. He actually finished at the final table as well and also made, I think, 550000 in that tournament as well. So <laughs> it was just one of those very tough decisions early in my, uh, you know, major tournament career that uh, could have made a difference. And uh, a writer named Jesse May out of uh, England said that he knew at that time that I had earned my spot as a tournament director of the biggest tournaments in the world. Wow, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. I mean, you've seen this evolution, right, from the, you know, just when tournaments start, when the World Series started and kind of more modest, intimate affair back in the day, and then um, televised poker and whole cards and all of it. Um, how would you say that the tournament life for poker players in this country has changed over the last, say, 20 to 25 years 
or the experience um, for you as a tournament director? How is it has is has it changed appreciably? Oh yeah, it's changed so much. I mean, the fields are so much bigger. You know, back when I started back then, the you know the main event drew six hundred and you know, 13 players the first year. We thought that was the biggest thing ever. So, you know, you know, now, you know, we're having this term with a $40 million guarantee at the win coming up. So, you know, it's gotten so much bigger. And, you know, I I always say that poker needs to be so more, much more inclusive. Uh, You know, I'd love to see, of course, more women playing the game, but, uh, uh, you know, just the field of international players that come in to play these major events, you know, it just shows you how much has changed. And, uh, you know, the rules have changed. The game has changed. Uh, the people are way more studied now. People are, uh, but there's still a lot of recreational players coming in play as well. So I don't. I I think the, the game is for everybody. I've always thought that that way uh, is true, and I'm I always feel like anybody can win. If you've got somebody you know that's playing these major events, even though they've won their way in through a satellite, uh, you know I'm always in rooting for the underdog. So I, I hope that uh, you know one of your players can come up one day and. Uh, be at one of our final tables, be at one of our televised final tables and uh, make a name for themselves. So I think that's the way the game's changed the most is just the sheer mass of players and the amount of tournaments and things that are going on in the poker world every day. Uh, You can basically find something going on around the world on a day-to-day basis. So it's just grown so much. Yeah, I hear you. Chris, question? Well, Matt, you mentioned you mentioned the tournament with the forty million dollar guarantee. Um, first off, I just want to congratulate you and the whole team. Uh, everything I've heard about that event last year was that it's was just first rate. Everything was just like everything you'd dream of in terms of like how it was run, how how it kind of came off, the experience. Um, and I guess just for our listeners who maybe are more, you know, we have more recreational listeners. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's coming this year and uh, why why they might why a recreational player might want to like take their shot at uh, at the WPT in, in Vegas. Coming Definitely up. come to this win festival, even if it's your first time uh, playing a tournament, because not only is there, you know, the eleven hundred dollar five million guarantee. So that's, a you know, kind of a, a level that people aspire to. But we're having satellites for that. So, you know, you can get in for as little as one hundred dollars into one of these big tournaments. Um, you know, there's a festival that starts with a, a $600 buy-in and a million-dollar guarantee. So that's going to be a huge event to start the the festival. But you know, during that time, there's small limit cash games. We have the premier meetup game where you can meet a lot of poker superstars on December 1st. So you know, there's a way to get in for that, and I'm sure that we'll have an opportunity for some of your listeners to play in that and meet Brad and Andrew and a lot of the people that they may watch uh, on these. Um, live streams but uh you know there's just so many different people to meet and see and of course if one of your listeners comes to me and says hey i'm new to the game or whatever i'm happy to show them around give them a tour have them meet uh, vince van patten tony dunst uh phil ivy i'll introduce them to anybody that's that i could see around in the room and you know happy to do that because i think it's those kind of experiences that people will remember forever and make them you know uh, maybe a lifelong poker player so I've always thought it's important to treat everybody the same, whether it is, you know, a Phil Ivey or a Phil Helmuth or Daniel Negreanu or a first time player, because if you don't do that, you know, they don't get that kind of feeling or experience that they belong. And I want everybody to belong when they come to a poker room. And I think that that's very important. And so I think this wind festival is a great way to see it. Uh, the room is just massive, but it's amazing. And, the, you know, the the pictures of the past champions and all the things that we do on the World Poker Tour really, really makes it exciting for everybody. And again, if you have any questions, come find me. I'll be on the floor. I'll be out there. And uh, I'm happy to do it because, uh, like I said, it's an experience you like you'll never get when you walk into that poker room. I promise you. Joe? So, uh, you know, I took a little bit of time to uh, peruse the Tournament Directors Association website. And what I notice on there is that for a mere $100, I can take a test and become a Tournament Director Associate member if I were to pass with a 90% pass rate. Uh, Can you tell me, is there a secret handshake that you get to learn as well? So when you go into the casinos, you you get all the best perks and things like that and the best seating placements. Is is, does that come with the whole package or is it, you know, what else would I get from actually doing the work for that? Okay, well, it's only $10, not $100, (laughs) only $10 for that 
for that test. So, uh, yeah, you know, there is no secret handshake. Like I said, uh, a lot of us here on the World Poker Tour are easily accessible and uh, it's easy to come talk to us and find us. You know, we have our Royal Flush crew members there that are super friendly. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a concierge there as well. Um, you know, we're going to have booths set up for our WPT voyage and all of the things that we're doing. And literally, if you can find somebody on the World Poker Tour, they're going to be very happy to help you and uh, give you that secret handshake so you can do those things. But, you know, we're not helping so, you in tournaments. We're not going to give you any special treatment, no extra chips, no uh, extra cards, no uh, nothing like that. But we are going to help you in any way you can to have a, a great experience. That's for sure. So my serious question, though, is uh, reading the Wikipedia page, and you have to tell me if this is incorrect, but it says that you were on the mic during the uh, 2003 called Moneymaker versus uh, Sammy Faha. Is, is that accurate? Is, does yeah, Wikipedia that's true. Accurate? If you look up the videos, I'm I'm in there, and there's actually a, a kind of a funny story that, you know, when he made the big bluff, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, when he made the big bluff, I had actually said, uh, Moneymaker calls. He said, no, 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 I raise, I raise. And I always say that I could have actually changed history had Sammy Farha picked up <laughs> on something when he said that and uh, not laid that down. So I, I'm very happy about that, that that didn't change in <laughs> poker history. And, you know, hopefully maybe it helped him uh, to win that. So in poker, it tends to be very insular, right? It, most people, when I talk about poker things outside of the poker community, people don't know it. But people know uh, the moneymaker story, right? It's like, it's like the one thing people are aware of beyond just some big names. It's like that particular moment. What's it like to be uh, a part of that in, in some small central way, even if you weren't actually playing cards? It actually had a feeling of, of a time that was going to change. It was like what we called it was a perfect storm because we had online poker coming in. We had televised poker. And of course, the name Moneymaker and the charismatic way that he won that tournament and won it for such a, a small buy-in, an $86 satellite. Uh, and uh, it's it's something that like you had the feeling that it was going to be big for the game. And you didn't have a feeling it was going to be that big because the very next year when I ran the World Series, you know, we had 2,538 players, uh, which we weren't prepared for on 81 tables. Uh, and it was like one of those things that we just knew was going to be bigger. We knew it was going to make a big impact, and it, it surely did. And, you know, many, many people still to this day say the moneymaker effect is the reason that they got into the game, and that's why uh, they're still playing today. So uh, it was an exciting time. It was fun to be there. Um, it's a moment that I'll never forget. And, uh, I always like to go back there and look at that. And, you know, when you walk into the, uh, world series poker, they used to have a picture of me in the background with moneymaker holding up the money. So that's one of those things that, uh, I'll always cherish and think of as probably, you know, the highlight of my poker career. Certainly not a lame claim to fame, uh, uh along the lines of the weird Al Yankovic song. So thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The, um, I want to second Matt what what Chris had said. Um, I, I was I was at the win last winter, railing a friend, and uh, uh, the beauty of that room and seeing all the moving parts of it. But everyone I talked to uh, just spoke to just uh, just how efficient the whole. I uh, just how beautifully efficient the whole thing was. And tournament players are used to you know hitches in the process a lot. Um, it was ironic because I met some, I met a tourist uh, like last year uh, at the Aria and we were chatting poker and uh, he, we were talking about the moneymaker moment and that last hand, et cetera, with Sammy, who I just adore from the old days. Um, I've, anyway, um, but he said to me, yeah, and that was an amazing moment. I mean, you know, it was all rigged and everything. <laughs> and I said, huh. Okay. <laughs> like I literally was so proud of myself because I didn't go insane or like start yelling at this person. But I'm just like, wow. I went, I, I kind of went, huh, like that. You know, like, what are you supposed to say? Yeah. Uh, well, if it was a setup, it was very well done and very oh well. Oh my God. No, it was literally like, I love that people have decided where certain moments have to be like a cheating moment it just can't be real or you know chris couldn't have done as beautifully as he did i'm just you know all you can do is just nod your head you know yeah. Um, yeah, Matt, i, can I promise there was no conspiracy that's for sure yeah exactly um so you take your you travel the world poker tour takes you to parts known and unknown right you're Absolutely. a tournament director and yeah, uh, lots of different yeah, talk about a little bit about what your experiences, uh, your experience of being a tournament in other other countries, other casinos, other cultures, 
talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'm lucky to have seen, uh, my wife and I were just talking about that. We've been to 49 countries. Um, wow. Most of those have been poker because of poker. Um, very recently, we just spent time in uh, Spain and Madrid. We were in Liechtenstein. Uh, we've been in Korea, Japan, uh, all over the world. Um, Monte Carlo, we got to end up getting married in Monte Carlo. Uh, some of the, we're in six, six continents now. Um, so it's it's really uh, become a global game in the World Poker Tour. What I like to say is we put the world in the World Poker Tour. And, uh, you know, it's been our goal and kind of our, you know, what we intend to do is to grow the game globally because we know if that happens, it's just going to become bigger and bigger. And, uh, you know, part of that is, you know, trying to get that culmination at our championship event and, you know, just get people to come in and enjoy what we're doing and, uh, you know, putting a global footprint on everything we do. Nice. Uh, we have a question from Chris. Yeah, Matt, you know, one of the um, things that's just going on in the poker space in the poker world, and I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about it, um, you know, as technology is accelerating, there's uh, all these wonderful tools for studying that give you some some real-time sort of options and answers and possible solutions to how you might best approach a spot. Um, they're getting so good and so fast and so um, available that you can have them on a phone at any one time. And I'm just curious about, you know, where the TDA uh, is in thinking about and where you, I mean, you don't have to speak for the whole, but where you're at maybe in, in thinking about what is the role in space where we want players to be able to be comfortable to show up at a, at a game, you know, just check their phone when they're not in a hand versus trying to figure out do we need to do anything about this to make to protect the security of the game? I'm just curious yeah, about your thoughts on it. We've definitely spoken about this. And, you know, there was a time where the TDA was going to set a rule, no cell phones at the table. And we just knew that it was, I knew at the time that it was never going to happen. You know, we're going in a different direction technology wise. And, you know, people can't are so addicted to the phone, myself included, unfortunately. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that I just knew was never going to be possible. But, at the same time, you know, you need, you need to protect players. And, you know, there are certain uh, aspects of the security that we've tried to set up. Uh, we aren't allowing people to use, you know, the charts at the table and those type of things, learning devices or, you know, special glasses or anything like that. We don't want anything to that like that to happen uh, in the game. But, you know, in some respects, we have to respect people's privacy as well. So there's that aspect as well. It's one of those things that we need to definitely keep uh, our mind and focus on and you know, I'm sure that we will bring it up again at the next uh, TDA summit because it's going to come up every single time from here on out. But yeah, definitely, you know, it's something that we're aware of, something that we're we're focused on. And again, for us, it's most important that people have an enjoyable experience and are able to do that without having to worry about people um, cheating in those things. So, I mean, it's one of those things that we'll always keep an eye on. Matt, um for someone like you with such, first of all, I just want to say parenthetically, like, thank you so much for, I really deeply appreciate your humility. I really do. I live in Vegas and I meet a lot of poker players and um, I, I love the, the, the humble folk are my favorite people. So, yeah. but I, and I deeply appreciate um, your, your interest in growing the game and the ways that you've articulated that. And also your shout out for any of rec poker members and beginning players to, um, that you're approachable in tournaments and there's a lot to learn. And I really, really appreciate everything you've said today. Um, is there one area where you feel like after all these years, after all these games, after all these temper tantrums in real time from players and all the countries you've traveled, is there one thing that still is hard for you in your life as a tournament director that is still a challenge for you? Is something that still scares you or unnerves you or something in the course of your work? Um, not when it comes to poker tournaments, but you know what I guess unnerves me is that I'm I'm a little too focused on answering everybody all the time, and you know it's one of those things that unfortunately you know it takes up so much time. You know I'm I'm pretty much a 24 hour seven resource for people that are trying to learn rules or trying to you know ask questions. You know I have people texting me and emailing me, and uh, sometimes it takes me a little bit 
of time to get back to those things. But I try and do it in a timely fashion. But because I think it's important for people that are trying to learn the game to do those things. And it has opened a lot of opportunities for me. I'm not going to lie. You know, being that resource for everybody has opened opened opportunities for me to be, you know, the, the at the pinnacle of, of people asking these questions. So, you know, that does bring a little bit of pride as well. But I think the biggest, you know, issue or problem that I have is, is having to maintain that over so many years to keep uh, answering these questions and, you know, taking time away from my wife, my family, and things like that, it becomes a little more difficult. But, you know, I try to do my best. And uh, I I always make that promise that uh, I will try and answer every and everybody's questions that they might have. Um, You know, luckily, you know, since the TDA, it's kind of a resource where people can go and look and see those things. So they have diminished a bit, but uh, I still there for others and other TDs that are friends of mine and other you know, poker dealers and players and things like that. Uh, you know, it's kind of a time drag. That's the only thing that I would say I don't regret, but I, at the same time, you know, I look at, I might look back someday and say, wow, I did all of that and answered all of those things for so many years. And I may have missed something. You know, that's what my biggest fear. Wow. That's a great, that's, that's a great answer. <laughs> I know on the cash side, I, I know in my own training, I've, I've, I've worked on allowing stuff to get weird up to a certain point right so we you can't in a healthy way react i don't even think it's just for cash players but for everybody you can't be reacting to everything it's an amazing organism a poker game and but there's eight seven eight or nine people and seven or eight or nine egos involved in all of that and i know for myself i've had to learn how to again just let I just, there's a line for me and whether i need to call the floor or i need to leave the table or whatever it is in your case there have been some really extreme moments in the World Series, for example, um, or in, in, in with WPT. Um, what, ha- what, what are? I know that there's general guidelines in terms of how aggressive people can get verbally or physically or whatever. But when there are really extreme temper tantrums in a tournament context, or the language gets vicious, or what, what happens there? I mean, how, how do you respond or how do folks in your chain of command respond or how did that get monitored and responded to? I love it. Or sanctioned or non or sanctioned or not sanctioned. I've always been curious about that because the last couple of years there have been some very extreme moments, at least at the World Series. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I think that that's been my strongest suit is being able to diffuse the situations or being able to listen like i can be in one part of the room and say hey there's something going on over there and tell maybe one of my floor staff go see what's going on over there or or whatever but being able to walk to the table and diffuse that situation is i think probably my biggest strength and uh, something that i learned early on uh to make sure that you get between that situation and that make sure that when you leave that table, that people are comfortable in your ruling and that people that uh, understand why you've made that ruling. Now I've made rulings before where, you know, it might be a difficult one and I'll make that decision and walk away from the table and kind of watch from a distance to see what the reaction is. (laughs) Most of the time it's, well, Matt said that's the rule, so that's the rule. Let's move on. So luckily that's that's the case, but it's not the same for everybody. Not everybody gets that same respect uh, that I think that I've, I've gotten over the years. So I want to make sure that it is uh, something that all of my floor people or all the staff or all the dealers that I have get that respect and have you know earned it too so that they are making the correct decisions. So you know I've had to overrule some of my floor people sometimes and I hate to do that, but at the same time, if they've made the incorrect one, I wanna make sure that it's right. And at the same time, teaching them so that they can do the right thing for the future. But yeah, I think diffusing situations like that is my strongest strength. Can you give us an example of like an overruling? Mm. Um, you know, just something that they may have ruled incorrectly. Maybe they said um, a, a player may have uh, said something like, um, I'm all in or are you all in or something like that. And so the the way it, it reads, the rule reads that if you say all in when the action is on your, yourself, you must do that action. So sometimes the floor may be a little overzealous and say, okay, now you're all in, but then you have to go back to the table and say, no, I asked, are you all in? And then I'll have to take, let that player take the chips back and let them, you know, carry on, but warn them that if they do that, 
that if I'm not on the floor to overrule that, they're going to be all in next time. So be careful about what you say, especially when the action's on you. Something like that has happened a few times in my career, that's for sure. Well, and are you seeing, is it, uh, Matt, for you, is the the TDA came into the world when there was nothing and TDA created this structure around tournaments. And now you've had, you know, from 2000, you know, 22 years of TDA's influence. Are you seeing the set of tournament rules and regulations and structure and everything that happens in, in, in tournaments constantly evolving? Are, are you, con- is it, you know, the, is that structure um, constantly amending? Would you like to see changes? Is it a constant conversation? Does yeah, we meet every two years and uh, at annual summit. And I'd love to have somebody from Rec Poker come and see how that process works. But uh, basically, it is a amending of the rules that we already have in place, and it's a, a adding rules if we need to. Sometimes we eliminate rules. A uh, rule that was eliminated recently was the uh, big blind ante. A lot of people think it should be ante first. Like myself, a lot of people feel like it should be big blind first. And so we, since we couldn't get a 100% agreement or even a decent number agreement, we eliminated it from the TDA. But the way it generally works, if somebody brings up a rule, it, we discuss it. If, if a big majority feel like that it should be a rule, what we'll do is we'll take down, you know, by a show of hands, if it's like 90%, we'll say, okay, can the other 10% of you live with the rule that way just for the interest of standardization? A lot of times there may be a rule that I don't maybe necessarily agree with that I will go along with if it's for the good of the game, if it's for the good of standardization and everybody else agrees on it. So it's, it's something like that has happened in the past. And that's how we come up with the standard rules for the TDA. It means that everybody in that room has agreed on it. And we have some of the best minds in the industry there every other year. So uh, I, I feel like it's a good process and it has worked over time and I think it'll continue to work. And so, you know, like I said, uh, I reach out to people, to players, to other tournament directors, to people to get them to come to these things. So they are setting the rules as we will use around the world going forward. Uh, do we have a question from Joe Coolis? Yeah. So um, I've been involved in rulemaking uh, committees before. Would you say that there's more tension involved in the rulemaking committees that you see or the poker tables that you see? Because I would actually put it on the rulemaking committees, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it would probably be be the other, you know, it's a, it's like one of those things where you get to the table sometimes and there's a lot of argument, a lot of discussion. And they say, I know the rule, I know the rule. And then, you know, basically you have to go up there and be the uh, arbiter of, of which way it goes. So, you know, sometimes there's a lot of tension. Sometimes people think they're taking angle shots. And, you know, basically for the most majority of the time, the, the rules are in place. So people aren't shooting angles. That's what I want to protect against more than anything else is somebody, you know, taking a shot or, or making, uh, you know, maybe even a rule that is in place it goes against the spirit of what actually happened. If sometimes if that happens, you have to overrule even, you know, what the rule is written down on the TDA because rule number one of the TDA is that we will act in the fairness and integrity and it may outweigh the actual rule itself. So I think that that's the most important thing is we want to make sure that, you know, not only are the rules being followed, but also that the people that know the rules are using them the correct way so they're not actually cheating or angle shooting as we call it. great um matt i think we've come to uh, a very natural point to subject you i mean invite you um to play um stake stack study and i'm going to uh invite our beautiful uh Chris Jones to uh, help with this. I feel like I'm 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 in charge of the torture device or something. No, but this this is this is going to be fun here. This is going to be fun here. All right, all right. So Matt, I'm sure you've heard of a game that uh, has has you maybe maybe in middle school and high school you had to pick somebody who you might do something awful to, somebody who you might have some romantic involvement with, and somebody who you might live the rest of your life your glory days off yes. with, right? Well, this we play that game, but it's called Stake, Study, or Stack. I'm going to give okay. you three names. You get to choose. One of them you get to stake in a tournament. One of them you get to study with. And one of them you get to stack and take all their chips. Okay. All right? And I've picked three very special names for you. Your names are Vince Van Patten, Tony Dunst, and Lynn Gilmartin. Uh, I would like to stake Tony Dunst, that's for sure. Um. Study, 
a good question too. Study. Hmm. Steak stack or study? Uh, <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm, I'll go with study Lynn Gil Martin. Because uh, she's got a great personality, and I, you know, I look up to that. And then uh, stack Vince Van Patten. Yeah, you're gonna just stack Vince Van Patten. It's okay. fun. It's fun to beat Vince Van Patten in anything, whether it's golf or poker or whatever. All right. Well, I, I would I would love to see that. Um, and so that gonna that's gonna bring us to our our closing the action thing. So this is a uh, we've been adding this to the end of the podcast. We're having a lot of fun with it. Um, this is a speed round. I just want you to give us your fastest, quickest, honest response. You can pass if you can't think of it, but okay. um, just as, as quick as we can, as short as we can. Um, and I'm going to start off really easy. What's your favorite poker hand? Uh, Jack 10 suited. Jack 10 suited. If it's What's not aces, of course. I'll take yeah, aces right. first, but then Jack 10 suited is my favorite poker hand. Favorite poker hand. What's your favorite suit? Uh, my favorite suit is spades you got to go spades Spades. okay is poker a gamble or skill game poker is a a gamble but if you got to put yourself in enough good positions through skill to make it that way all right what's your biggest poker pet peeve racks on the floor i don't know if you guys saw my video Ooh, racks racks on the floor that's a good if you haven't seen it make sure you check it out that we have not heard that answer yet that's a great that's a great answer um racks on the floor is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Absolutely. Center okay. around Christmas. It's focused on family. Okay. Is Ace King a drawing hand? Yeah, it's not a made hand, so it is a drawing hand. All right. I think this is going to be like asking you uh, who's your favorite child, but uh, what's your favorite poker venue? Uh, my favorite poker venue. Well, I love the one I'm in now, which I'm in Best Bet in Jacksonville right now, but um, you know, you have to see the win. It's so beautiful. Uh, and of course, where I got married, Monte Carlo, being inside that Monte, uh, c- casino, Monte Carlo, uh, was just an amazing experience. So probably that one would be my favorite. And you know, wins getting up there, real close. All right, uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh, no, but either either is a hamburger. No, oh, oh, there we go. More controversy. What's your favorite childhood family meal? Childhood holiday family meal. Uh, unfortunately, I have to go mac and cheese because I, but I can't eat it anymore because it's, you know, as you know, <laughs> probably the worst thing for you. But mac and cheese. All right, you're coming up to a yellow light. Are you slowing down or speeding up? I am slowing down, but I also time the greens because I, you know, they have those things on the the, ah. the countdown on the the crosswalk. So if I see that counting down, I'll speed up to go into the green light. Like it, like it. What's your favorite mix game? Uh, toe, triple draw, Omaha eight or better and stud eight or better. And I actually had my own tournament called the Matt Savage's big toe. Before <laughs> Casino. Uh, should vacations be lazy or busy? Uh, if it's a place you've been to before, uh, lazy, if you've never been there before, busy because you want to go around and see everything. You don't want to miss anything. Which TD would win a TD only tournament? Well, me, of course. <laughs> can't pick yourself yes i'll pick myself okay um are you pro chop or no chop i am uh no chop unless it's the tournament that i'm running and it's been going for a long time and then i'm definitely pro chop love it i love it what player type are you uh bad okay bad that's why i work in the industry more than i, I play all right, and this is the last question. You can now you can take your time with this one if you want. Um, what does the poker world need to do better or differently? Uh, need to be focused more on fun. I think that uh, sometimes everybody takes themselves a little too seriously in the poker world, and I just think that you know poker would be a lot better if everybody was having a little more fun and not taking it so serious. Love it. Love it. Well, Matt, I've tabulated your results. You've scored 2,946 points. So that's pretty dang good. Uh, (laughs) So we appreciate you playing with us for closing the action. And we really appreciate you being part of this. Um, We we love, we love talking to you. um, And uh, we're really looking for this. The, the, the win tournament is just like, it's a dream buck. I'm not gonna be able to make it this year, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, it's on my calendar. I, I just have to get there someday. Cause I just, everything absolutely. I've heard about this yeah, is so great. At some point again, please reach out to me. 
You can find me on social media. I'm all over the place. So uh, again, watch that rack video. And uh, if you have any questions about the win or any tournament on the World Poker Tour, feel free to reach out and ask me. Great. Matt, Great. is there anything in addition? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, Matt, is in addition to uh, folks can reach you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, Savage Poker. It's at That's Savage Okay. Poker. Um, and you've talked about the win um, series coming up. Is there any other... Uh, tournaments that you would like yes, to absolutely Seminole hard rock they run some of the best tournaments in the world they got one coming up uh right it's i think the series starts next week and it runs through thanksgiving but uh, the main event starts right after thanksgiving to the world poker tour i will be there for that i'm actually flying thanksgiving day so come on down and see the uh, Seminole hard rock hollywood uh, they do a fantastic job one of the best crews in the country in the world that i've ever seen so yeah please come down and see it if you've never been to the guitar hotel it's a sight to see great uh chris did you have a last question or comment no actually i mean uh thanks so much matt uh we're gonna shift gears now folks you can start typing in the food bank uh into the the chat and we'll be doing our raffle shortly but i just want to thank our guest matt savage for joining us um it's a treat to talk to you um and we really appreciate all you do in the poker world i i think people maybe don't understand and appreciate how influential and important your role has been in terms of creating the poker space that we all know today and can go to multiple different venues and know what we're getting into what to expect as players and really understand the rules in which we're operating and i you know i just really thank you for all those that work and uh thank you for being the guest today all right i appreciate it guys anytime uh again reach out to me at the win if you guys want to say hello or anywhere else you see me uh we'll make it happen for you we'll uh, give you a good experience for your first time at world poker tour event i promise you Right. Great. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. And uh, I think we're going to shift gears now. So while people are entering in their food bank raffles, um, John, I think it's time to do some home game results. That sounds good to me. We'll start off with the mixed game championship series. This is a game that we play the second Wednesday of every month, and it's some form of mixed game this month it was deuce to seven triple draw and in this series you get points for the player of the year and e anderson 85 eric anderson won his very first mixed game series of the year of course gopher boy tjm taylor still has a significant lead in the player of the year race no snide remark, Chris. I, was... I, I already got. I, I had to clear my throat. You know. Okay. Um, now then, KB. I figure the the less attention we pay to him, we just kind of move on. Just kind of like it's like pulling a band aid. Just kind of like quickly ignore it, and then can kind of move forward. Gotcha. Uh, now then, KB got his sixth nightly victory for the year. Pet vet thirty three. Kim Kilroy got her fifth nightly victory for the year wow wow nice Turinar, Josh joshua campbell got his first international victory for the year and then ship and flip wreck luke o'driscoll got his first international victory for the year that's an international person i think he's a, a new zealander so a kiwi i believe is what they are known as uh and then jesse two shoes jesse got his or her very first LPP victory for the year. So, Jesse, contact info at rec.poker for your free month at Learn Pro Poker. Thank you, uh, John. Um, anything else? Uh, Sasha, Joe, anything else before we kind of close up the show? We can roll the dice. We got two food bank entries. Uh, so, giving people a little bit more time if they want to enter. But anything else to add? Sasha, I saw you on mute. No, I was just uh oh. yeah. Okay. No, I was just uh yeah, the roll the dice thing. I'm I'm very excited. All right. Well, I guess I gotta uh I I forgot I gotta call in too. So hold on, give me Joe, <laughs> go ahead and say something. Um you're something looking clever. awful, awful uh good at doing the dice rolling there, thanks, Chris. Thanks something so clever. Much. I don't know. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can say, you know, that uh, we are having, um, you know, hopefully people have taken the time to view some of the PSYOPs videos. I think a lot of them have um, 
provided some pretty interesting tips in terms of how to use psychological concepts to their advantage uh, as best they can. Um, as always, you know, please put in uh, suggestions, questions, different things that you want to talk about. Provides me the opportunity to look into them ahead of time and, uh, you know, maybe we can learn something new together. All right. I am seeing uh, three names that have typed food bank in the chat, the RRCCC, K-Poker Wannabe, and Claudia B. Uh, so with those three, I'm going to give uh, one, two, three, and then four, five, six. So well, um, uh, how about do you have a four-sided? I do have a four-sided. Yeah. Why don't you, uh, Sasha, for doing such a great job hosting today, why don't you pick a number between one and four? Wow. Um, okay. A lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, this is only four of them. Yeah. <laughs> I like two. I like two. Okay. Two. So okay. any two, any any twos will be twenty bucks to the food bank. Uh, All right. right. Love and it. So away we go. It is a two. Hey, twenty dollars. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. No, no, no. Let's I'm go. heading right. I'm heading right for the craps table. Okay. All right. So here we go. I'm going let's, right. Let's now. keep rolling twos here. Uh, it's a three, so that's going to be uh, our C. So it's K Poker wannabe. K Poker wannabe three? is our winner. What did you roll? A three. A three. Uh, I have it as Claudia B. Right. So the well, no, because two two was two was right. So it goes uh, one, yeah. three, four. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, well, I think with that, um, it's time to. Uh, wrap it up so um i'm gonna i have a couple of little announcements chris so oh go for it yeah thanks so um finally uh we want to announce the running aces mid-stakes poker tour which runs from november 30 to december 10 and um again we want to thank the running aces hotel racetrack and casino for its sponsorship of our podcast and thanks to our marvelous guest, Matt Savage. And thanks to the Wrecking Crew members, uh, the YouTube question askers, and our fantastic Wreck Poker audience at home. And here comes our fabulous outro music. Thanks, everyone. Uh, run, run well, and we'll see you next time.